Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada. In today's program, we continue our series in the book of 2 John with a message called Love and the Commandments. Now let's join Dr. Neufeld as we turn in our Bibles to 2 John verses 4 to 6. was having a conversation with his wife regarding their future together. He said, what if I wake up one morning and you look at me and realize you don't love me anymore? And she instantly responded, there's always obedience to Christ. You know, I think that most of us who have known Christ for some time have observed that when our first answer to Christ is not hesitation or negotiation, but an instant yes, things like longings and feelings begin to take their rightful place. Christ and not feelings are Lord. We are responsible to his word, his truth, and his commands, not our own temporal, changeable reaction to things. Obedience to Christ, what a game changer. As we opened the book of 2 John yesterday, I noted that we were forced to make a choice on what we are reading. I'm aware that the majority of Bible teachers today tend to see this book as addressed to the church and that the reference to the elect lady is a veiled reference to Christ's bride. So many believe that this letter written to a church is not written to an individual woman. But as I weighed out all the evidence, either for or against this position, I could not find a convincing argument for that perspective. And when there seems to be evidence on both sides of the equation, that the elect lady could be a metaphor for the church or a literal woman, it always has seemed safe to me to live by the following premise. Take the Bible as literally as possible unless the context or the style of writing clearly dictates you should not do so. For instance, when the woman of the Song of Solomon says to her beloved, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills as a gazelle, one should not think that this woman has fallen in love with a mountain goat. It's clearly figurative language. But when the book of Genesis tells us that Isaac brought Rebekah into the tent of his mother Sarah and she became his wife and he loved her, that's basic, straightforward, literal language. Both passages speak about a young man and a young woman falling in love, but they use a different literary style to express that. And almost any reader can intuitively sense what it is we're reading. And in the case of 2 John, since I see no clear evidence telling me that the elect lady is metaphorical, and since my bias is to take literally everything that I read unless the writing indicates that it should be taken figuratively, it seems to me that the woman spoken of as the elect lady was probably a widow who had considerable means and had made it a habit to use her large house as a ministry center. Perhaps church worship services were held in her home since the house might have been the largest building believers had available. But most certainly, she had housed many traveling missionaries, church planters, preachers, and Bible teachers there. In a day when hotels and motels were mostly seedy and attracted the underbelly of society, Christians put up others in Christian homes, and this woman was just such a woman. Traveling preachers were always there. But we also noticed that the Christian church was beginning to change. It had been 60 years since the church was founded, and now John is the last remaining apostle. Terrible persecution had ended the lives of all of his fellow apostles, along with many other faithful Christian leaders and followers. Pillars of the church were dead. Paul, James, 
Peter, Matthew, all were gone along with a number of other leaders. The infant church John saw forming on the day of Pentecost was now so very different. Yes, it was larger, and it was found in more cities than before, but it was more ethnically diverse than even he could have imagined in those early days. But it also become diverse in its theology. And the very simple yet profound phrase, Jesus is Lord, was being tested. And as we will see when we come to verse 7, some who confessed Jesus as Lord denied his incarnation. They taught that he was not truly human. They taught that he had not come in the flesh. We also know from the history of the church, eventually some would come claiming Jesus as Lord, and they would deny that he was truly God. And Paul would make the same observation years earlier in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4. For someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, and then he goes on to say, you put up with it readily enough. Perhaps this elect lady was putting up with visiting preachers who taught another Jesus readily enough. She opened her door to them. And so we can see why John is writing this letter. It's a letter about who to receive and who to reject. It's a letter about love and truth. Can those two items be held in the same person at the same time? Now, yesterday, we took up the introduction to the book in verses 1 to 3. Now we come to the body of the letter, verses 7 to 11, and today we're only going to look at verses 4 to 6. So let's read 2 John verses 4 to 6. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now, John, in his book, is going to make this dear lady face some very important issues, issues in which she had been failing. But before getting to that, John begins not on a negative, but on a positive note. I rejoiced, or I was delighted to hear of what was happening in your personal family. Some of your children are walking in the truth. Now, many of us reading this passage might say, well, wait a minute, that's not quite as positive as we might have thought. Obviously, that means that some of her children are not walking in the truth. But that doesn't necessarily follow. John may not know all of her children. John may only be referring to those children he had actually met. Or he might simply be saying, the kids that you have that I know of, those kids are walking in the truth. And when I heard that, how encouraged I was, I was filled with delight. So whatever we make of this woman who had some difficulty balancing truth and love, she had obviously led her own kids down the road of truth. So that's the first thing that we learn about her. This woman was seeing God's grace, mercy, and peace in her own family. That's a positive. And John notices and makes mention. Let me diverge for just a moment here and share an important principle of leadership that I see that John models for us. And like so many of us, when we see a negative in someone or a place where some of us feel we need to correct someone, many of us just barge right in. And the person being corrected doesn't feel loved, nor do they feel the person doing the correcting is conscious of the areas in their life where they've seen victory and growth and evidence of grace. All is eclipsed against this one area where we believe change is needed. Let's learn from John, who begins by finding delight in what God had been doing in this widow's family. 
Her husband was probably dead, and she may have been left to raise her family on her own, and John has been hearing of what has happened in the lives of some of them, and he is delighted. Now, John notices another positive feature. This woman's children were walking in truth. If this woman was having a difficulty combining love and truth in some areas of her life, that was obviously not true in her family. Now, normally, in our language, we would put it this way. I rejoice greatly that some of your kids are saved or some of your kids are in the Lord, but John prefers the language of walking in truth. This is an important theme for him. For not only does he say that here, he repeats that same formula in 3 John verses 3 and 4. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth, says John. Because the language is so similar in 2nd and 3rd John, it's hard not to pick up on how important the idea of walking in truth is to John. He is no greater joy than when he hears that people are doing it. But what does John mean by walking in the truth? According to this book and the other books by John, it's clear that, for him, walking in the truth means to live according to the truth of the message of the gospel. To believe consistently. As Pastor Vance Havner once said, what we live is what we believe. Everything else is just religious talk, yes? But with this woman's children, it was not just religious talk. And I think there's a message here for all moms and dads. If you learn to balance love and truth in your life, it will have a great impact on your kids. They will always know that the greatest and the best thing that can happen to them is not a great career, not a great education, not a great marriage, as important as these things might be, but that they walk in the truth, that is, that they walk in Christ and make both large and small decisions based upon the gospel. How often do we find that parents have time for tutors after school, for music lessons, for soccer practices, for special vacations, but have neglected church and the training their kids in the Word and have done so in love? Learn this, mom and dad, have no greater joy than that all your kids are walking in the truth. Dr. Neufeld has helped us better understand who this woman was that John was addressing. And we get a better sense of both the personal and practical nature of this unique letter. Just like the Apostle, our priority too must be to walk in the truth and lead our children, our future children, to this truth as well. But how does love and obedience to Christ fit in? Well, we'll look closer at that right after this quick break. It's happening. If you've listened to Laugh Again in the past, Now the opportunity is available to not only hear Phil, but to see him in action. This month, we make the official launch of Laugh Again TV. Five minutes of storytelling, laughter, hope, and joy all wrapped into a video message from Laugh Again and Phil Calloway. So check out Laugh Again TV at laughagain.ca or by going to the Laugh Again TV channel on YouTube. A new inspirational, joy-filled program every week. If you check out Laugh Again TV on YouTube, remember to subscribe to the channel for free and never miss another episode. Thank you for continuing to support in these challenging days. Your donations keep this unique ministry alive. To learn more, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit laughagain.ca.
John writes a letter in which he must confront a woman regarding the importance of combining love and truth. He begins by commending her family. Let's move forward to verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So we've seen that this woman is seeing God's grace in her family and that this woman's children were walking in the truth. But now John has a command for her. This woman must love on the basis of Christ's command. I hope you saw that. The call to love is a call to understand the life of love, according to the commandment from Jesus. And, as John is quick to remind her, the command to love came from the beginning. Now notice that unlike the false teachers who were distorting the teaching of Jesus and were proclaiming a Jesus who only appeared to be human but wasn't, I hope you catch that, these teachers were adding new teachings about Christ, adapting contemporary philosophical trends and integrating them into the Christian faith. In contrast, John is reinforcing that which was from the beginning. It's fascinating how often John returns to that theme. First John begins that way. There John begins the letter by saying, that which was from the beginning, he writes. And by the beginning, he explains what he means. That which we have heard, he says. What we have seen with our eyes, he says. That which our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you. What is John talking about? He's talking about the real Jesus, the one who actually came, the one he encountered and about whom the original apostles taught and wrote. This was a message at the beginning of the Christian church. This was not a new teaching that had shown up five years ago. Now go to 1 John 2 verse 7. There John says, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment. This is the word you heard. Then in 1 John 2, verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers, he says, because you know him who was from the beginning. On and on John goes, repeating that phrase in the beginning over and over again. And in each case, the beginning had to do with a real historical Jesus and what the apostles taught from the beginning about him. So John is concerned that the original message of Jesus not be lost. And then he adds, what Jesus commanded you from the beginning is that you love one another. Now, John might be quoting from his own book, the Gospel of John. There in John 13, verse 34, after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet and after Judas was sent out into the night, Jesus says to the remaining 11 who will follow him until the end, he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So that command from the beginning came from the Last Supper and the washing of his disciples' feet. Jesus showed his disciples that they were to serve one another in humility out of love. So let's examine the matter. If you allow false teachers to come into the house church, how much love can you possibly have for new believers or for believers who are tempted to fall away or for believers who have not been trained in God's word well? In fact, to allow false teachers among the people of God is to show callous disregard for those who are called to protect and love and serve in humility. It is unloving to give place to false teachers. Now, let's go to verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Please notice two very important and subtle things in this verse. First of all, back in verse 5, John uses the singular. He uses the word commandment, meaning only one. 
In verse 5, he's speaking about the commandment for believers to love one another. Verse 6, on the other hand, uses the plural commandments, meaning the sum total of everything God requires of us. So then in verse 5, John is calling us to obey the commandment to love. And in verse 6, he's calling us to walk according to all God's commandments. That includes love, but also includes everything else that Christ has required of us. That's the first thing I want you to notice. Here now is the second. We might be tempted to read verse 6 by saying, this is love for God that we walk according to his commandments. But in fact, that's not what this passage says at all. The context demands that we read verse 6 as saying, this is love for one another, not for God, because that's what John has been teaching us in verse 5. This is love for people in the church. This is love for all the people of God that we walk according to his commandments. So the definition of love is obedience to everything that God has commanded us to do. And that might strike us as somewhat strange. How can our love for each other be measured by our obedience to God's commandments? And the answer is that God's commandments define love. Let me give you some examples. Let's say you have a Christian man in your church who has in the past been unfaithful to his wife, and now he begins to have a very positive friendship with another woman. Finally, this relationship develops into an affair and she becomes his mistress. He justifies it saying he really loves this second woman, but the Bible Remember the commandments of God defines it as something else. It defines this as adultery, not love, as wickedness, not love, as God-defying sin, not love. Obedience opens the doorway to understanding the love of God. Let me give you a second illustration. The Bible indicates that Christ is our head and we, the church, are his body. The body operates smoothly, not because the body gets together and votes and decides together what they want to do, but because the body responds to what the head commands it to do. Whenever the body is not submissive to the head, there is danger to every single organ. Enough rebellion, and the body collapses and dies. So says John, this is love for one another, to obey God. But in our individualistic society, many of us are tempted to say, my individual obedience has no effect on the church whatsoever. I might be living in direct disobedience to God, but that only affects me. But John is saying the exact opposite. He says that disobedience to God is in fact an act of lovelessness for the people of God. I want you to look over verse 6 again. And this is love, that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. I want you to see that John first speaks of the commandments, plural, then speaks about the commandments, singular. So let me try to repackage verse 6 in my own words. I'm going to call this the John Newfeld Standard Version, if you allow me to do that. And this is the definition of love for other believers in the family of God to be obedient to everything that God calls us to do. This obedience to God in all things is fulfilled in a single command to love each other. When you are obedient to God in all things, you will be obedient to God in love. So then, obedience to God as a practice in our lives leads us to want our children to be saved, leads us to want the Father to be obeyed, it leads us to want and desire unity. And in fact, Obeying the commands is the definition of both love and truth. When your first response to the commands is yes, 
you are going to learn how to love. And so truth and love are never the opposites. The story is told of a time when a a little child in an African tribal village wandered off into tall jungle grass and could not be found, although the tribe searched for this child all day. The next day, the tribal members all held hands and walked through the grass together, and this enabled them to find the lost child. But because of the cold of the night before, the child had died in the night. The anguished mother cried, If only we had held hands sooner. Indeed, that's exactly what John is after. The truth is that the night air of the false teachers is killing our children. Love demands that we hold hands with others as we stand together for the truth. The two together form the basis of our message to the world. Our Heavenly Father, how quickly we have forgotten these lessons. O Lord God, show us how to combine these things so that we might be strong for your glory. In Jesus' name. John, we're learning something here, at least I am. I think this is a great uh, response to those that think their behavior has nothing to do with how other people act or their understanding of God. Really, we're called to be obedient, and then when we're not obedient, it really does have an impact on those around us, doesn't it? I think we all labor under an individualistic illusion. Uh, I think it's trained that way. Our culture tells us that we can act independently without affecting someone else. But I think we all know that cultural trends impact all of us, but trends within the church impact all of us as well. So when it becomes commonplace for individuals to say no to Christ, expect the next generation to do it as well. When it becomes commonplace for us to demand faithfulness in our own lives, it's amazing how the next generation learns. So that family aspect and our own obedience and what we leave the ones that walk after us is a huge question that the Bible addresses over and over again. So you're right, Ben, in pointing that out, and that none of us lives or dies to himself, as the scripture says. We live and die to Christ, and we impact others around us. And God will, in the end of the day, hold us accountable for how we have lived. And that's the the wonderful news, and that's the sobering news. I hope that this message has encouraged and challenged you as we consider our calling to be men and women of love and truth through obedience to his commands. Please join us tomorrow as we continue in 2 John with a message about truth and error with Dr. John Newfeld. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Hi, Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. Let me begin by thanking those across Canada who've given so generously to our fiscal year-end goal. The funds we raise in June are critical to the effort to sustain Bible teaching and engagement ministries throughout the year. It's been made so obvious from those giving and those sending notes of encouragement that Bible teaching you can trust is so needed and highly valued. Recently, a listener wrote to say, thank you, Dr. Newfeld, and Back to the Bible for consistently providing deeply meaningful and theologically rich Bible teaching. I particularly appreciated the new video series provided during the COVID pandemic. It's encouraging to my spirit to hear words of truth and hope. Thank you for continuing your work of faithfully proclaiming God's word. There's only a few days left in June and we're getting ever so close to reaching our fiscal year end goal. If you've given, thank you. If you're considering and able to give, your gift would mean so much. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
www.thepowerhouse.ca.